0: This morning's reading is coming from Luke um, 8, and it starts at uh, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Keep that passage open. I hope that uh, you've been doing your homework and uh, read the other chapters that run up to this during this past week. Something we've been asking you to do is we read through Luke, because we can't focus on everything during this, uh, this particular sermon series. So when you see the note in the, in the news sheet about what to read for the coming weeks, and please um, do read. But let's ask for God's help as we look at the passage that's just been read to us. Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to come and to live among us to experience life here, to work with those in his own age and in his own culture. And thank you that his healing ministry that we read of here is something that continues through his disciples today. Help us to learn from this passage and help us to put things into practice of praying for each other when we're unwell. We ask it in his name. Amen. Right at the start of this gospel, Luke tells Theophilus and to other readers why he's written it. And he says it's to give an orderly account of Jesus' life and ministry and on to his death and resurrection. So that, as we read it, we may be more certain of the things that we have believed. So that we may be more certain of the things we've been told about and taught over the years that we might believe And as Luke unpacks the story, he does so probably in about five acts um, of a play almost. Act one is Jesus' birth and childhood, which we looked at. Act two takes us from Jesus' baptism and the temptations and his ministry in Galilee. Act three then turns as Jesus turns his face towards Jerusalem and begins to go towards the capital city. Act 4 is Jesus' death and his resurrection and his ascension. And then in Act 5, which is volume 2 for Luke in the book of Acts, we see Jesus' ministry continued by spirit-empowered disciples. This morning we're coming towards the end of Act 2 of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. Started in Nazareth and it comes up, as we will see next week, in Caesarea Philippi and the great declarations of who Jesus is. And that second act of the story is bookended by two particular words, which Luke records as having come from the Father. At Jesus' baptism, a voice is heard from heaven declaring, You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. You are my Son. And then at the transfiguration, as we'll read next week, this is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. You are my son. This is my son. And in right at the start of his ministry in Nazareth, as he opens up that scroll of Isaiah in the synagogue there, and he begins to read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And goes on with the list of what's to be done there. Jesus then makes that bold claim that he is the fulfillment of those words. They are incredible claims to make about somebody who others can see walking around as a man, somebody else who they see as human. And yet, these words are there. Claims and declarations are one thing, but evidence that they stand up to scrutiny is another. See, people could just look at Jesus and say, well, he's just another one of these miracle workers around here. Or he's just another one of these teachers that we get from time to time. But it all seems to come together in Jesus. Is Jesus who he said he was and is? Well, it's a dilemma that John the Baptist faced. In prison, scared, worried whether he backed the wrong horse. And he says to his disciples, go. And ask Jesus, are you really the one who we're expecting? Are you really the one who all these words and these declarations speak of? Is it true? Is it real? And we'll see Jesus' response in a minute. But maybe it's a question that you found yourself asking. Maybe you've been reading the gospel a bit and you've been been looking at it and you think, well, actually, who is this man? Who is this Does he stand up to scrutiny? Does he stand up to the claims that are made about him? So in the Galilee scenes, Luke is painting a broader picture of who this Jesus is. His life and ministry, which back up the claims and declarations. We saw something of that last week as Richard led us through the aspects of Jesus as the teacher the teachings don't just stop in, the te- in Galilee, they do continue. But there's something special about the way in which Jesus begins to unpack the word as he works his way through and around the Galilee area. And today we see Jesus as healer. Like the prophets Elijah and Elisha before him, Jesus brings healing and wholeness to broken lives. So as John's disciples come to Jesus with doubts about whether what John has heard, is Jesus really the one he's supposed to be? Is he the one that's expected? Jesus points to what he's been doing. He says, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The good news was proclaimed to the poor. John, this is what I've been doing. Is that evidence enough for you that I am the one who you've been expecting? It's a reiteration of what Jesus had said. His ministry would be like from the Isaiah scroll. But now there's clear evidence as you work your way through that earlier part of the gospel. A man with an evil spirit is delivered in Capernaum. Many come to Jesus to be healed at Simon Peter's house. Some men lower their friend through the roof and their friend is healed and forgiven. A man with a shriveled arm is healed on the Sabbath. A centurion comes and says, my servant is unwell. Jesus, you just need to give the command like I do and I know that he'll be healed. A widow in Nain sees her son brought back to life. And immediately before our reading this morning, Jesus has been on the far side of the Lake of Galilee. And he comes across that man called Legion because of the number of spirits within him. And Jesus cleanses that man and restores him back to his community. And then we have these two incidents here in our reading this morning. If you do have those doubts about Jesus' identity, continue reading what Luke has to write. Consider what he's already described Jesus is doing. Join with Theophilus in looking at the portrait that Luke is painting and consider what sort of person could do all these things. One of the songs we often sing in the primary school assemblies when we go out to the 23 schools um, in the area each term is... Um, a song which which talks about Jesus healing the sick and and calming the storm with all of the appropriate actions which the the children love when we do them. But the punchline that comes time and again in that song, who is this man? Only God can do that. Only God can do that. Luke is laying out the evidence. Yes, he's telling the story of Jesus' life, but he's also laying out the evidence for Theophilus and any who care to read and think about who this Jesus is. His healing miracles are reassuring evidence for John the Baptist. And again, as we'll see next week, they provide the foundation for Peter's declaration when Jesus puts the question straight at him and says, Who do you say I am? Jesus teaches and Jesus heals. And those various healing stories combine to teach us a lot about Jesus' attitude to healing. We find that Jesus is interested in the whole person, spiritual and physical. When that man is lowered through the roof, he comes with a physical need, his paralysis. Jesus heals him of that, but also he says, go away, your sins are forgiven as well. He's interested in all of us, all of the bits of our lives. Jesus sees that the healing and restoration of people takes place and takes precedence over anything else we might actually want to put in its way. So when that man with a shriveled arm comes into the synagogue and on the Sabbath, and Jesus heals him, the religious leaders are furious. This is work. You should not be working on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, what's more important, the restoration of this man's health or these laws which are there to guide us, yes, but not to stop us doing God's work. As Jesus performs his healing miracles, he knows no ethnic or racial boundaries with the people he's willing to get alongside comes alongside a centurion he comes alongside a synagogue leader he comes alongside legion on the far side of galilee which was sort of seen as over there and outside and another place and yet jesus works there too so there's nobody outside of the scope of, of those who jesus wants to get alongside to heal and to restore Jesus sees healing not as an end in itself, but as a way of restoring people into community. Go back and read those stories again, and you see that a number of them will be people who would have been thrown out by society. The woman in the story was this morning. The leper would have been, the men with the evil spirits. People would have put them outside. We're not going to get near them because they might contaminate us if we're with them. But Jesus says, I'm going to go to them too and be alongside them. And as Jesus brings healing of their illnesses, their outsideness is converted to being inside. And they're restored into community. In their healing, they are no longer untouchables. And then also Jesus demonstrates that in coming alongside people in praying for healing, we will break down taboos that are there in the society at large. We've seen it in part of the religious taboo of how he heals on the Sabbath. But also he works against the cultural norms that are there. The woman in this story this morning was probably suffering some form of menstrual problem. She was unclean. To touch her made you unclean. Yet Jesus, granted she touches him, but Jesus makes it clear by saying, who's touched me? And as this woman comes, the crowd would have known who she was. And Jesus puts himself in that vulnerable position by acknowledging that he's been touched by somebody who's untouchable. And he brings her healing. And then when he goes in to see this little girl, again in that culture, to touch a dead body was to become unclean. And what does Jesus do? He takes her by the hand and says, get up. He breaks through those boundaries that we were put to say, well, I can't really go there. talking about this at the 8 o'clock communion this morning. I guess perhaps the nearest example I've got recently of that, I guess, was when Princess Diana went and began to, to speak and to hold the hands of those suffering from AIDS. We break through those cultural norms and those cultural taboos in order to bring healing and restoration. So the woman in our reading this morning She's unnamed, but it is a woman that Jesus is healing. She touches the hem of Jesus' cloak. There's a deep trust there. She doesn't have the faith of Jairus who goes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, can you come and heal my daughter? She just says, most quietly, according to Mark, if I just touch that hem of his cloak, then he's going to heal. I'm going to be healed. It's a beautiful picture of trust. The lesson for us here is that the faith that we do have is more important than the faith we don't have. I wonder how often we found ourselves saying, I wish I had the faith of so-and-so. Or maybe people have said to us, I wish I had your faith. To which my response is, your faith is sufficient. Whatever that is, however small it is, It's the faith that you do have that counts, not the faith you don't have. See, the woman could have said, I'm not like Jairus. I can't go up and ask Jesus. I'm not going to do anything. She wouldn't have been healed if that was the case. But instead, she says, I have faith that if I touch the hem of his garment, he will heal me. And she steps out and does it. Jairus' faith, I guess, must be tested in a very different way. Um, One of the ways I love to read the gospel is to try and place myself in the shoes of the people that we we hear about. And think what it must have been like for Jairus. You know, Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to come along to your house and I'll I'll, I'll deal with your daughter. And then this woman comes along. And everything gets blown apart. And and Jesus is delayed. What's going to happen? And then that devastating news as the servant comes and says, don't bother him anymore. It's too late. I wonder what went through his mind at that point. And yet, as far as we can tell, Jesus' reassuring words to him of, of believe are ones which Jairus is already doing. There's something there that Jairus says, I know I can still trust Jesus despite all of this, despite all that's going on. I can still trust him to come with me. Jairus and his wife aren't put off by the traditional mourners standing and screaming at the door. Nor are there scoffing words at Jesus' statement that the girl is, girl is just sleeping, not dead. And then Jesus takes the girl's hand and says to her, get up. And what was striking for me was to see that the next thing Jesus says to, to the parents is go and get her some food. That, that there's something there about the spiritual and the physical going on again, isn't there? And I wonder, we're not told what the illness was, I wonder when she'd last act. And Jesus' concern for that little girl is she's now woken up and she's going to be hungry, and he tells the parents to go and get some food for her. It's a remarkable part of the story, isn't it? As also, I think, are the the little words that Jesus uses when he talks to her. He refers to her as, My child. My child, get up. We've used words a bit like that with George this morning when the sign of the cross was made on George's forehead, those words, Christ claims you for his own. And that's what Jesus is doing here with this little girl as he raises her from the dead. And as he tells her parents to go and get us some food, he's saying to her, you're restored. Restored to him, restored to community. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus' healing ministry. Luke tells these stories to help Theophilus and all subsequent readers to better, better understand and be assured of who Jesus is. That the claims Jesus made in Nazareth, that the words the Father speaks over him are true. But I think Luke always here is doing something else too. He's presenting Jesus as a model for what he is calling his disciples to be doing. Beginning of chapter 9, he sends them out his disciples out, and he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. And if you move on to Act 5 of the story, in the book of Acts, we find the disciples, through Peter and Paul in particular, doing very similar things in very similar ways to the way in which Jesus brought healing to others. And it's a ministry that's continued in the church to this day. History of hospices and hospitals is largely founded on the work of Christians. I've seemed to have been visiting the hospital quite a lot over these past few months for various various reasons. But it's been great to meet a number of you there in your work clothes and and just to see the the presence that you are in that place. It's been wonderful to, to, to see that and to know that healing ministry in that context for those who know and love the Lord Jesus working there. And we continue to pray for you in that work. But it's also a calling for all of us, I think, as well. James urges those who are ill to call on the elders of the church to go and to pray in a night with those who are sick. And I think it's something that he calls all of us to in our small groups and wherever it might be, to be praying for each other, to put names in our community prayer group, prayer book, so that we can pray corporately as a church. I wonder if you meet somebody who is ill, is it your first instinct to ask them if they, if they would like prayer? I mean, Whenever I ask anybody if they want me to pray for them, I, I don't think I've ever come across anybody who said absolutely not. Um, maybe it does happen from time to time, but most people will be willing for that. The Prayer book phrases that are praying for those who are unwell in body, mind, or spirit and to be alongside them. So if you hear that somebody is well, drop their name in your prayer diary and make sure you're praying for them each day. And it's simple as that, just may mean praying that the person will know God's peace in their situation. I know when I've prayed that, I've come away feeling that's a bit of a out. Should I have been praying something more specific? But actually the number of folk I've spoken to have said that was just the prayer they needed at that time, regardless of whatever else it was they were going on. I know that's true from personal experience too. And there will be times, maybe most of them, when we specifically pray for God to heal. When we do this, we're placing the situation in God's hands for him to answer as he sees fit. Yes, we will have the questions, why are some healed and some not? I don't have an answer to that. All I can say is, that so I know that when I pray those prayers for healing, I'm laying that person in the hands of a loving, sovereign God who knows what's best for them, and for God to do it in his own time and in his own way. That doesn't stop me from praying. It means I continue to pray. Jesus' ministry in Galilee was founded on his preaching and healing and the power of the Spirit. And both activities are evidence that Jesus is who he proclaimed himself to be. But both activities are to be continued today in the life of his church. As part of our response this morning, I think we'll get the band up to play. And if those who are on, on the, the um, Prayer ministry team can come and just stand over here. And if any of you need prayer this morning for anything, it doesn't have to be for healing or for sickness, it may be something else, then please do feel free to come and, and, and be with, with those who will be praying here this morning.